Hey friends, Pastor Brandon here, and we are so excited that you logged on to stream our sermon content here at Community Covenant Church. We pray that it is uh, helpful, enjoyable, and that will help you grow into all that God has created you to be. We have other ways that we help you grow here. And first, that is through our gatherings on the weekend. Um, and it's also in groups as we gather together as the church uh, beyond the weekend. Um, and we are applying this sermon content and the gospel to our lives. And and then lastly, through mission opportunities, both serving inside and outside the local uh, church. And so what we pray is that this sermon content uh, is in no way replacing a meaningful relationship between you and a local church, whether that's our church or another one in our area. Uh, we just would pray that this is supplemental to you and not a replacement of a meaningful engagement with a local church. And so just praying uh, for you as you continue to grow and pray that God continues to uh, help you connect to a group of people that love you and know you. Blessings. on in our teaching series called Overwhelmed, and how many just feel overwhelmed sometimes? Come on, right? Yeah. Right. Can we get a big collective American amen? Come on, right? Yeah, right? We, we are just, you know, do you know that the average American sees about 3,000 advertisements a day, per day? You just see something that has been calculated to get your attention 3,000 times. And over the course of your week, you will find yourself having that discussion in your head without you even knowing about it, which is, if you can think about that, it's kind of amazing. So without even like starting your day talking to anybody, you're already making about 3,000 decisions a day. Think of it, that's just mind-blowing. And then you haven't even talked to your kids yet. Right? Think about that. Like you haven't even had that. That you, you factor in your discussions that you have with your family, then you're at work and all that sort of thing. Without even knowing it, you can feel overwhelmed. Like even if you struggle with something in your body, and, and you kind of have to start your day developing yourself or starting your day stepping into just knowing that you're going to have to deal with some pain. Like it just causes overwhelming feelings. And just we're in this spot where just every every just we need a collective American sigh, <sighs> because Americans just are good at being overwhelmed. But Jesus has an invitation for you. He says that if you want to not be overwhelmed, then you need to simplify your life. And simplifying your life isn't just about organizing your schedule. Simplifying your life is about uncluttering your soul. It's about uncluttering your soul. And so today we're going to be hanging out, discuss, uh, continuing that discussion in John chapter 15. And so if you can take your Bibles out there on your seat, um, go to page number 897. 897, we're going to continue this discussion. Because here's what Jesus' invitation is for you today. His invitation for you is not just to organize your schedule, because we all know we, we got things to put in schedules. We don't have a shortage of those things. 
but he's inviting you to have, a, at a soul level, some rest. And this is his invitation for you in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, we, we talked about this last week. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke was a Jewish symbol for teaching. Uh, the yoke was something that they, they used as an illustration, a symbol, the yoke of, a, of, a, of some cattle or sheep or whatever, anything that would help you plow the fields, anything that helps you in your day-to-day life, anything that's helping you actively engage with the world. Uh, this yoke of work or community or personal interaction, whatever the case is, he said, take my yoke, my way of life is the best way of life, and it's going to be an invitation for you to have an easy task and a, and a light burden. And that's his invitation for you today. And sometimes we have images of God that aren't that. But his invitation to you from the mouth of Jesus today is to take a big, deep breath. Not just in your organizational life, not just in your relational life, not just in your schedule, but in your soul. And so we're going to invite you to do that today. And one of the cool things about that, when you take Jesus seriously about this invitation uh, to unclutter your soul, you will literally be able to step from isolation to community. And so today we're going to chat about what it looks like to move from isolation to community. How many know that the Bible starts out calling creation what? Good. All right. We're good. We're good. We're good. We got this, right? It's like my, my life verse, right? And God said that it was good. But at one point, he says it's not good. Do you remember that part? Right? He says it's very good. But then he says, oh, no, it's not good. And it's in, Je- in Genesis chapter 2 where he says this about man. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, he says the word good like 15 times. If you're reading the Bible and you see a word 15 times, pay attention to that word. He says it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. But then he says one time it's not good. And what does he say it's not good in relation to? Being alone, relationships, and isolation. See, sometimes we find ourselves stuck in isolation for a variety of reasons. But God says it's not good that you stay that way. It's not good that you stay that way. And if you take his invitation with a, for a, to have a, a light yoke and an easy burden, if you take that invitation to have a simplified life at the soul level, if you take him up on that offer this morning, then you have to take seriously Genesis 2.18 where he says, okay, if you want my way of life, it's the best way of life, then it's really not good that you stay alone. It's really not good that that, that feeling of loneliness is stuck in you in that moment. And so we, we find ourselves maneuvering through uh, all sorts of different relational tensions, um, all sorts of rela- personal tensions, because we're in a spot where we could simply feel uh, lonely. Now, here's the deal, is, is that when the first time a human being ever in the world found themselves isolated, all sorts of bad things happened. We actually can read that story in Genesis 3. Um, you can go back through and read that. But it's a story about Eve and Adam. And what happens is God says, you can do anything. You have free reign to this entire garden. Like, it's all yours. You can do whatever you need to do, but just please don't eat from one tree. Right? And because humans just are terrible at that, right? Don't touch the button. All right, now I want to touch the button, man. Like, I just, okay, what do I do with that button? You don't tell me what, why, but now I want to touch the button, right? Humans aren't good in that. So, so what ends up happening is Eve 
finds herself alone in Genesis chapter 3. And, and she is approached by what the Bible calls the serpent. It, it's the image for the Satan, the enemy of the world, the enemy of God, approaching Eve when she's by herself. And, and, and he says this really simple phrase. He says, you know, did God really say you shouldn't eat from that tree? Right? Genesis 3, verse 1. If you go to that next slide there, Audrey, you can see that we begin to stumble into things. We're right at verse 1. Satan goes up to Eve and says, did God really say that he didn't want you to eat from that? Well, maybe if you do, if you do eat from that, he's actually kind of holding out on you, and you'll actually get to know some stuff that you didn't know before. You'll get some new stuff if you eat from that tree. Maybe you should do it. And immediately gets Eve to question whether or not God has what's best for her. In isolation, you begin to question that. In the next, the next step, you see, she's actually tempted to make life, a life-altering decision. He says, hey, maybe you should eat from this. And she says, you know what? Oh, man, it is beautiful. Man, this fruit is good. This fruit will actually give me wisdom. And she starts to believe the lie that she can provide for herself what only God can. In isolation, She's tempted to make this life-altering decision. She, there's nobody else around her helping her with this. There's no community that she's able to interact with in a strong way. She's by herself, and she's being able to get, she's, she, and, and, and the enemy's getting in her mind. Like, God doesn't have what's best for you. You actually have what's best for you. And what if you made this decision? It would literally change the rest of your life, and you should do it because you think it's best. And so, so she, and she actually stumbles into that. Yeah, she stumbles into that. No. It's okay. Come on, go. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> See you, Nick. That's fun. Have him sit. He's cool. Um, we are, so he, he moves through this, make this major decision that Eve has. Major decision that Eve has. And as soon as she eats from the fruit, and she actually gives it to her husband, Adam, and immediately, the Bible says that they are naked and ashamed. See, God didn't create us to feel nakedness, to feel ashamed with other people. That's not how he created us to feel. That's not what he designed for us in relationships. Yet immediately upon sinning, she feels this keen sensitivity to her own shame. That's what happens in isolation, is that we're aware of our own baggage. We're aware of our own shame in a way that we weren't designed to feel. And ultimately what ends up happening is God begins searching for them because we know that we have a God that doesn't stay away when we're in pain. We have a God that doesn't stay away when we're struggling. He doesn't, we don't have a God that stays away and says, hey, figure it out, you got yourself into that mess. But the Bible says this one phrase. He says, where are you, Adam and Eve? Isn't that a funny question? God actually asked the question, where are you? Like, don't you think, this, this, don't you think he knows where they are? And it's this massive, like, life-altering question. The God of the universe is saying, where are you? Where are you right now? Because you're hiding, and I didn't design you to hide. And immediately upon asking the question to Adam and Eve, they say, oh, the other person made me do it. <laughs> right? And then, and then the other person made me do it. 
And then Adam, like, so Adam, Adam points to Eve. Eve points to a snake, because that makes sense, right? That'd be like, that's so fun if your kid came up to you and was like, oh, the snake made me do it. You're like, all right. We know you're lying, right? And they step into the spot where now their shame personally is creating disconnectedness relationally. And isolation makes a mess. Our sin just makes a mess of our relationships. And we find ourselves isolated way more than we find ourselves connected. But the the God of the universe today is inviting you, if you are finding your identity in him, if you're resting in your soul, if you are simplifying your life, you will have no problem taking a step from isolation to community today. And we find that story in John 15, uh, verse 9 through 16. And so we're going to chat about that today. Here is what the story says. It says, this is Jesus speaking to his followers. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and I remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. What's he saying there in verse 9 through 11? He's saying, if you, if you do life my way, you get joy. <laughs> Isn't that so, like, thanks, thanks for the simplicity of that. He said, no, 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 if you do it my way, I've designed you to live a certain way of life so I get you better than you get yourself. And if you live life the way that I designed you to live, you get joy. You get joy. And so he continues by saying this, I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with joy. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. So see the trajectory of the Bible there. He says, if you do my commandments, if you do my commandments, you will get joy. This is my commandment. You should listen at that moment. He says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. Massive verse. There is no greater love than to lay down one life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are friends since I have told you everything and the the Father has told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command to love each other. So here's just a few little things, invitations for you to move from isolation to connection. Number one, if you want to do that, you have to just understand that Jesus loves you. Bible, you know, Sunday school point this morning, just pure, simple understanding. You want to do life and have joy doing it? Do life the way that God created you to live. And he's saying, do, do this commandment. I love each other the way I have loved you. So, so the basis of this entire verse is literally what? Loving someone based off how he loves you. See, some of you are here right now because you're questioning whether or not Jesus loves you or, you, or you're questioning whether he likes you. And some of you are here right now wondering, um, it just, and this idea is just wreaking havoc on your relationships because you're looking for in other people what only God can give you. He said, I want you to love people the way I love you, and if you're not completely rest assured that the creator of the universe is just head over heels for you, you won't have anything to give over to someone else. In fact, what you'll do, you'll come with an empty bucket expecting them to fill you. 
See, the Bible teaches that we should be in healthy, interdependent relationships, but because of sin, what we end up doing is we tend towards codependency or we tend towards independency. And some of us, man, we can't help but be in relationships because being in relationships make us feel better. And once that relationship stops making us feel better, cut, you're out, you're done, and I'm moving on. Or we move to independence, and we just say, we don't need anybody. We don't need anybody. But the Bible teaches us that we love other people the way Jesus loves us. So it's like this idea where where the God of the universe loves us, and his love flows through us, through the world, to people. We can kind of show people what God is like based off the way we love them. What What does your love look like? And so some of you are here right now because you're simply not confident that the love of God is just lavished upon you. You don't believe that that the God of the universe is for you. We we come in here, we're like, oh, I'm just here because maybe it'll it'll make me feel less guilty. Sometimes we come in here and we just feel like, oh, man, I, I can't wait to go to church because then I get to get God's attention. And man, the whole time, he's just a loving dad that says, man, I just, I'm with you all the time. He's just very, very confident in his love for you. Some of us, we get stuck here because we're not sure of the affection that God has for us, and our affection for him hasn't been stirred in a long time. And when this begins to happen, we are easily more and more isolated because we don't feel the need to pour out that love that we so freely have been given. Man, we are filled up when, when we just simply ask God, God, remind us of your love for us. When we gather together and we sing about him, that, that, that idea of worship is literally an overflow of our hearts to God. Man, I, my heart will sing no other name. That, only, that expression only comes from a heart that finds its rest in Jesus. And so simply, if you want to move from isolated to connected, you have to understand that your love isn't from anybody else. It's not, sim- it's not from the, the things that we have in life. We don't have to be filled up on that. We fill our buckets from the love that the creator of the universe gives us. Our identity is in him. And we don't have to fight for his attention. You already have it. He's for you, he loves you, and we just rest in that. And man, we could just bathe in that all morning. Not together, because that's awkward, but like, <laughs> like, like, like we could just sit. The scriptures are so precious in that way, reminding us of the God of the universe loving us in the way that he does. And so, man, I pray today, if, if for nothing else, if you just hear that point, be reminded that he's for you. He's not waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can correct you. He's not hovering over your shoulders, hoping that you live life and make every decision the right way. He just wants to be on a journey with you. He wants to interact with you. And he wants you to be so rooted in his love that you feel the lightness in the easiness of his yoke. And so if you want to move from isolated to connected, don't base your love off whether or not you get it from other people. Base it off your identity in Christ. 
Jesus loves you. Man, my favorite point in the whole world is he doesn't love you. He doesn't just love you, he likes you. Right now. And some of you need to rest in that today. So you want to move from isolated, connected. Start with the fact that Jesus loves you. Second, you have to be a good friend. This is what, this is what Jesus moves right into this point. Moves right into this point where he says, um, this is my command, love each other the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than anyone. You are friends if you do, you are my friends if you do what I command. Now at first, at first um, glance, uh, glance here, you could be saying to yourself, okay, if I want to be Jesus' friend, I have to do something. I have to love, love other people. But doesn't that contradict what he literally just said? He's like, I gave my life for you already. And so sometimes our mentality going into this verse is, okay, if I want to do the check mark, if I want to get God's attention, i got to love other people. He says, no, no, no. You loving other people is the confirmation that I've done a work in your heart. You loving other people is a symbol. It's an overflow of it. Right? He's, and he's already said this. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's not anybody else. That's Jesus. And 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. So he's pointing back to that commandment, saying, you are my friend. And that overflow of the friendship will be into loving others the same way I have loved you. And so you're able to receive that love from other people that have been changed by Christ. And so you have the power, you're empowered, simply because he's done a transformation in your heart to love other people well. So you can be a good friend. And you're like, man, that's such a simple idea. But seriously, when I, when, when I look at adults in church, I think we struggle with this more than anyone knows. The idea of just being a good friend for people. And the reason why I know this is because you know the people that are good friends. Don't you just, you just meet someone, you're like, man, you are just such an incredibly, so incredibly good at relationships that I wish I could have a little bit of that, right? Like, because I, I just want to binge watch a TV show and eat chips, and you're incredibly good at just relationships. I have no clue how that works. So different than anything, any of my impulses. He says, no, no, I, you have the power to be a good friend. You can move from isolation to connection sometimes if you just are on the offense. Isn't it true that sometimes you're like, man, I got nothing to do. I'm feeling, like your body will literally send impulses. You'd be like, I'm lonely. Or maybe I just need a friend. Or maybe I just want to hang out with someone. That's okay. That's good and right. Your body actually sends you those signals like it does for food and water. And so I need to feed that with some community, feed that with some relationships. And we just say, well, I didn't, no one asked me to go anywhere. No one asked me to do anything. Sometimes being a good friend is because you have to invest your time into that. If you realize you're so lonely all the time, you're separated all the time, you're isolated all the time, you have to realize, I got I to gotta, I gotta get some, some oomph in my step here um, and, and really invest in what these relationships are. Being a good friend is, is really a part of taking this step forward because you're empowered to do that. Now, there's four types of friends, um, not just because I feel like there are. 
today. That has no, no, there has nothing behind that other than I'm going to give you four tips. Today, there's a spatial friend. Anyone know what a spatial friend is? Right. When you go to the Patriots game, or the Giants game, Roy, I'll give, you, give that to you. When you go to the Patriots game, do you know anyone around you? Maybe not, right? But you're immediately friends, right? Right? I got a, uh, Jaden, Connie and I went to a game one time, and Jaden's not the hang from the rafters, cheer for a team type guy. And he's very reserved, but he's super excited inside. And, uh, and, and man, we, we were sitting next to these people, realized that's not going to cut it, 10-year-old. Like, we're going to get you screaming for every play, right? And literally, I, I don't know how they did it. They got my 10-year-old introverted, quiet kid screaming for every, screaming at the other team when they had the ball. Like, I don't he was like standing on his seat yelling at, like, you're yelling at people you don't know, dude, chill out. And, and then when, they, when the game was over, they left and we never saw them. We didn't get their name. And I was like, that's amazing, right? They, got, they just got this kid screaming at the top of his lungs uh, for all these plays and they just left, right? That's a spatial friend. That's a spatial friend. You don't chest bump anyone ever until you go to those moments, right? You're in these moments. You're like, you're touching me. Stop it. Don't do that. Spatial friends, right? That's what that is. Uh, one step into, into it is a, is, a, is a friend called, is like a circumstantial friend. These are like your gym friends, your soccer friends, your football friends, your hobby friends, your work friends. Because typically when those seasons end, when those seasons end, the friendship ends, right? Like your soccer teams, your kids stuff, and all that sort of thing. And here's the deal. I, I, I talk all, I talk to, you know, when I talk to families, I always say, do not base your main community off of your kids' sports teams. Because at some point, your kid wants to stop playing that sport. At some point, your kid's going to outgrow that team. At some point, your kid is going to change their, uh, their, just their interests, right? And you, what are you going to say? No, you can't because I'm going to lose all my friends. No, that would be a terrible thing to say to your 13 or 14-year-old. Don't base your main community off circumstantial friends. When the season ends, typically the, the friendship ends. Typically you go in different directions. You see each other maybe once every few years or you bump into each other at the grocery store. These are, these are types of friends. Uh, seasonal friends. Now, these are, these are friends that are probably your 10, 20-year friends, maybe a bit more true friends. Uh, they're going to go through all, they're going to string together all your different circumstances, but someday they might move, right? I have one of my best friends in the world, I haven't seen him in a couple years, but man, when we sit down and we talk on the phone, it's like nothing's ever happened, we're catching up. We just get each other. These are, these are just true friends that, that will move through every ounce of circumstantial uh, circumstances that you might have. And then you have these lifelong friends, these different people that, man, you just know for the last 50, 60, 70 years, that you just couldn't do life without ever. You just can't imagine. And they would no, nothing's ever going to happen to that relationship. See, see, few of us have these lifelong friends. And I just think our culture doesn't allow for that much when you're moving different places and engaging in different things. Uh, but many of us build our major community off our top two here, these spatial or circumstantial. And that's why we never get to the spot where we're fully known and they know us. We don't ever get to experience life where someone knows all of our junk and loves us anyway. See, we, we have such a hard time with that on, a, on just a human level because we deeply, all of us, wanted this deep understanding, this deep emotion that we want to be accepted and loved exactly as we are. But we don't step into these relationships because we don't feel the safety there. So he's saying, be a good friend. 
there might be some people that you can take into the seasonal world here. And it might just take a little bit of investment. It might mean taking off the mask. Like some of you in relationships, you know that are good. They just want the best for you. You can walk through life or whatever. But you just wear this mask on because you're just scared that, that they're not going to accept every part of you. Maybe it just takes some investment. Maybe it just takes some action. Uh, or, or maybe for you, you just need to create some shared experiences. Next time you go on a trip somewhere or you're going somewhere for half a day, or take, call someone and say, hey, do you want to join? Have someone over the house, go grab pizza, whatever. Take them on the journey with you. That's how you build this type of thing. When they're in crisis, show up. How many know that's awkward, isn't it? That time where you're like, I don't know if I should go. I don't know if I should call. I don't know if I should text. Text anyway. Call anyway. Show up. Because it's in those moments, I guarantee you, that they're not like, oh, get out of here, please. Most people are going to say, man, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here with the meal. I'm so glad you're here with the phone call. I'm so glad you're here with the text. I'm so glad. Sometimes all you can do is text. Sometimes all you can do is just bring a meal. I don't have anything to give you, but I can just give you my chicken parm that I made. Because that's what being a good friend entails. Some of you are isolated because you're not taking that step into pouring out and investing in that good friendship. You can do it, because I bet a lot of people like you, but you haven't taken that step yet. All right, if you want to move from isolated to connected, number three, you've got to not just know that Jesus loves you, not just understand that you need a good friend, but you need to have healthy relationships. The worst thing to do is to move out of isolation and into connection, into unhealthy relationships. And one of the best things that I ever learned was the concept of boundaries. And boundaries was made really popular by the psychologist Henry Cloud. He's a really close connection with our Willow Creek Association network. Um, but Henry Cloud wrote this book called Boundaries. It just went crazy. And then he wrote Boundaries for Kids and Boundaries for Marriages and all these different things. But boundary is a simple idea, if you go to the next slide, where it says boundaries are property, a, a property line that helps you. And so basically, it's this understanding that I, don't, I know where my life ends and the life of someone else begins. So it's not codependency where I have no boundaries. It's not independency where I, have no, where I have a strong boundary and that's it. But it's this interdependence where my boundary and someone else's boundary can interact well with. And when you have strong boundaries, you can know who is responsible, who's in control, and who's accountable. Right? If you have uh, so a, a fence around the property line of your house and a, and, a, and a tree falls into it from someone else's property, you know who is responsible, who is in control. You have a door on your house. right? In the middle of the night, you don't leave that sucker wide open. Right? That's not fun. That's like just inviting all the weirdness. Right? So uh, a, a boundary keeps things bad, uh, the bad things out and the good things in. Boundaries are so helpful because um, you can actually learn how to help without enabling. And so you can say, hey, I'll help you as long as you take control over what you need to take control, be responsible for what you need to be responsible for, and be accountable for what you need to be accountable for. I'll help you. Because ultimately what boundaries help you do is decide what type of relationship do you want to be in. And when a relationship starts to get controlling or awkward or weird or codependent, 
When a relationship falls into that, then you can start to say, well, I don't want to be in that type of relationship. It empowers you to have full responsibility over your life. You can have the healthy relationship as long as you move into that type of understanding about yourself. Now, Jesus had multiple spaces where he had friendships, multiple spaces where he had relationships, where, where if you go to the next one, um, the four spaces there, Jesus had public friends where he, he hung out with 5,000 people. How about that for a party, right? I'm sure the cops will get called on that one. But he had 5,000, crowds of 5,000, multiple times, 3,000 other times. And he just had public spaces. This is kind of like a public space here. We had a few hundred people hanging out on a Sunday morning. Impossible to have deep interaction with, with people. You can bump elbows, you can hit shoulders, but that's about it. But then he did have some social interaction. In Luke chapter 10, it talks about Jesus sending out 72. Impossible for you to have meaningful relationships with 72 people, but you have an opportunity to be a bit more social. Social friends and and social relationships are where you're just sharing a little bit about yourself, little facts and little interactions. You might be teaching them something a little bit more. There's just more social interaction there. He also had personal friends where where really it was him and 12 right? And this is a personal friend or personal relationship is anyone you can lock eyes with for 10 or more seconds. Anyone you can lock eyes with for 10 or more seconds. And not, not be angry, right? Or something like that. I, mean, I can certainly look at a lot of people for 10 seconds, but I'm just saying in, in a personal friendship way, you can lock eyes and have a good healthy conversation. He had personal friends. He's 12 apostles, but he also had intimate people the three that he hung out with, Peter, James, and John, saw him at his most personal times when the Mount of Transfiguration, this most inner, Jesus saved that for three people. And to have healthy relationships, you really need to have relationships in all, uh, all across these four spaces. And so for us as a church, we have public spaces, our, is our gathering here, social spaces, the donuts, praise the Lord, amen. Um, personal space is a community group. Now here's the deal. Most of you are used to going to church at a social level, but you're not experiencing community. Over the last three years, our church has experienced about 70% of our church being connected throughout the week, beyond the weekend. And so today we're opening up registrations for community groups because we believe care happens best when you're surrounded by 10 or 12 people that love you and know you regardless of all your junk. And so you need to have healthy relationships. You need to understand what unrest in your soul is stopping you from doing that. But this is what's so cool. When you move from isolation to connection and you understand that Jesus loves you, understand uh, that you need to be a good friend and, and to be a good friend, you need to be in healthy relationships. To move from isolated connection, you have to, you have to realize that Jesus is gonna help you do it. This is what I love, verse 16. He finishes up the whole thing. He says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. What is the lasting fruit here? What is the lasting fruit? Relationships. It's not, you know, we tend to, to put our own definition as good, you know, Bible people sometimes. Oh, well, that fruit means I need to get a lot of people saved and I need to do this missionally and I need to do that. No, he's saying love people well. He's saying if you're a boat and you got a wake, what do your relationships look like behind you? And if you just got dead bodies everywhere, something's wrong. If you got broken pieces all over the place, you need to address some things. 
He says, no, no, I want you to produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. Isn't that an amazing promise to you? He's like, if you're doing life my way and you're getting the joy, if you are loving people well because your identity is in me and you understand that I love you, he's saying, like, amazing. He's saying, if you ask for something, I'm going to give it to you. He said, if you need help building these relationships, ask me and I will help you. You know, one of the best ways that he does this for you is just by giving you local churches. Whether it's Community Covenant Church or any of the like 400 churches in our region. He said, be connected with people that are seasonal friends or lifelong friends. What I love about the church is that the church isn't a circumstantial thing. We've been around for 2,000 years, not going anywhere. Thank you very much. Like we're, we're like the only economic proof organization there is. Whether or not this one closes down, they spring up all over the place, man. Like rabbits, can't keep them from going anywhere. That's why I love the local churches. You can come in here and you can lay bare before Christ. See, sometimes you've been asking God for things and he doesn't give you it, he gives you a friend. And we forget that, man, that's, that could be the way God answered your prayer. Community gives us that. And his invitation for you today is to not be isolated. Don't be isolated. See, when you're isolated, sin will get your, into your head. You'll be tempted to make life-altering decisions. You'll be tempted to see that God doesn't have what's best for you. But he says, no, I want you to have long-lasting fruit. In fact, most psychologists will say that you are the sum of your five closest friends. Scary. You're like, all of a sudden, my bar for friendship just went through the roof. He says, I don't, see, see, sin tempts us that it's better to be hidden. It's better to not be connected. It's better to, to be by myself because at least I can control it and I can feel safer. And he says, no, 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 you're safest and you're most joyful when you love other people the way I've loved you. And so today, I don't know where you're at, but his invitation for you is to come out of hiding. It's scary stuff to lay bare yourself and to trust the other person to do well with it. But if we can't do that as a community, where else can we do that? If we can't do that as God's church, his local church and his global society, like, like if we can't do that, where else should we feel safe to do it? But his invitation for you is to come out of hiding today. And so we're not going to end with a big band sort of celebration rally. I just want you to do a little meditation today. So we're going to play a song and play a video here. I just want you to maybe close your eyes, maybe spend some time just emptying out all the negative parts of your bucket whatever was in your backpack today, whatever you brought in, maybe this might be the only three minutes, four minutes that you have by yourself uninterrupted. And it's in those moments that God wants to talk to you. In an overwhelmed society, his invitation is that we are simple and our soul is uncluttered. 
And when we can do that, we can move from isolation to connection and out of hiding from where we are. So let's take a few minutes and meditate on that together this morning. Come out of hiding, you're safe here with me. There's no need to cover what I already see. You've got your reasons, but I hold your peace. You've been on lockdown, and I hold the key. Cause I loved you before, you knew it was love And I saw it all, still I chose the cross And you were the one that I was thinking of When I rose from the grave Now rid of the shackles, my victory's yours I told the veil for you to come close There's no reason Part of the story, you know, as you run. 